With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday Fallout for Season 12, Episode 58, Dolan's Closing. This week, we heard Bob break down Dolan's closing arguments and pleas to the jury. We also got a minor fire science lesson amidst this episode. I'm joined by Bob and Janet, and after a quick break, the three of us are going to dig into your listener questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today for this week's Friday follow-up. Uh, we had, I'm trying to think of any, do we have any housekeeping things that we need to address up front? Not that I can think of. Did you tell me something that I was supposed to remind you of? Uh, thought I might've didn't I, apparently. All right, well, uh, let's move on. Yeah. So we're good to go. Uh, oh, well, one thing I want to point out, I keep saying, we're going to mention that we don't anybody that's in the Northwest Indiana, Northeast Illinois, Southwest Michigan on May 26th in Portage, Indiana, which is right at the bottom of Lake Michigan, Zach and I will both be performing standing up comedy at the decibels club uh there in portage uh zach's opening i'm doing a feature spot uh, and i think they're what 10 bucks at the door the tickets Something like that yeah yeah friday night yeah so for those of you that have been asking when we're doing another comedy show uh that is may 26th uh and also uh if you guys haven't caught it on youtube jan and i have started doing our true crime live we're still trying to figure out exactly what that show is. Um, as of right now, we get on a live stream. Uh, we've done it. We did it Monday and Tuesday. We're going to be doing it again tomorrow, which is Thursday, which will be yesterday for you all that are hearing this. Um, and and we gab. We, sh- we just kind of shoot the shit. Uh, yesterday, we had uh, Josh Hallmark from True Crime BS on as a special guest. So um, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel and you'd like uh, more of just a fun, casual conversation, it's not about truth and justice. We're just talking about, you know, just true crime stuff and just life in general. That's happening on our YouTube channel. Um, and with that being said, we'll get into this. Zach, you told us before we hit record that you had some strong feelings about mm. this week's episode. Your thoughts? Yeah, I don't. Maybe I'm being hypercritical, I, but I can't imagine I'm the only one that's felt this way by listening to Dolan's closing arguments. And I went through his transcript to try to read it as well. And, and for me, he left way too much open-ended. And it really felt like he was talking at the jurors and not to the jurors 
Okay. And that's a big thing for me. I feel like when you start talking at somebody, they immediately start tuning out. I know that this is their position. Their job is to be the jury and to decide this case. But the moment you start talking at somebody, it shuts people down. And I felt that's a hundred percent as what he was doing. So do you think it felt like, like almost condescending? It was in my opinion, it was. Okay. And there was points in it where he, I understand what he was trying to say, but he didn't get there. And even in the episode, you had to put the words in his mouth for people to understand it. Hmm. There was a point in the episode where you said, if you're listening to what he's saying, Hmm. he's saying this, Mm -hmm. but those aren't the words that he said. So to be understood, you had to re-reference those words to us. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's and a really I, and good I point, think Zach. that's an issue when it comes to this stuff because once you start going over people's heads, you're condescending, you're talking at them, people tune you out. Regardless of if this is they're supposed to be objective, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's how I see it. You know, he talked about multiple times where he said he you know, he he pulls this reference where he's like there's evidence and there's facts and all facts are part of the evidence, but all, not all the evidence are facts. You're just, you're, you're doing the smoke and mirrors trick on your own end there, mm-hmm. which I get what he's trying to say, mm-hmm. but it's very convoluted and, mm-hmm. and washy to me. Yeah. It's, it was interesting the way he put it. He's, he's right, but it was a little kind of confused because he, because he, he, well, that's what I'm saying. It's not yeah. that I'm not saying what he said wasn't right. It's the fact of it's the way he said it. It, it just is all over the place. Yeah. It's hard to follow. Yeah. When it, because he kept making the point that there you use evidence to prove facts, that evidence is not facts other than what's been stipulated to. But it was an interesting, interesting approach uh, to keep kind of going back to that. I mean, I think maybe because I was so engrossed in it, I got what he was saying from it. But now that you're saying this, I can I can definitely see uh, how that could have been confusing and and how maybe people would have been turned off mm-hmm. to that in the but i mean i caught it and i'm again it's not it's not you it's not it's it's the fact that i this is how i listened to the episode is is he said you quoted his line from the transcript mm-hmm. and then if you said if you listen to what he's saying he's saying this which is not what he said right so you had to re-reference it so me as a listener could understand what he was saying yeah yeah that's that's a good point and and montana in the youtube chat just says um, he gave a lecture about how they were only supposed to consider the evidence and not the story being told. And then he immediately proceeded to do what he said they were supposed to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I'm sure we're going to dig into more of that, but, but Janet, what did you think about it? Well, I have one oh, more, I had one yeah, more no, spot too, that where he does it, where it's basically what, what Montana says is he goes through this, this little thing about you have to pay attention to the facts, not the evidence presented because the evidence presented is is hearsay. We have all this stuff, but you have to pre- go by the facts. And then later he says, you have to go by the evidence, not the story. So even if he's meaning the same thing, he's using the wrong verbiage. And, yeah. I, and I think it, that's where you start to lose people mm-hmm. yeah. is when you're confusing people, regardless of, I understand the people on the jury are supposed to be there for this job and they're supposed to be tuned in and figure out what's going on. But the moment you start going around people or at people, I don't know, it just shuts people down. That's how I felt about it. Okay. What'd you think, Janet? I did something maybe a little different than I usually do. And I actually folded a couple of my thoughts in to the, uh, the follow-up. 
Um, so I literally have like Teresa and then underneath that Janet and then underneath that Sarah. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I don't know why I did that this time for some reason, but, um, Zach, I hear everything you're saying and I don't disagree. Um, and, and I think my, my version of that in a way is that, you know, I always listen to the episode at least twice, sometimes three times, sometimes even four times before we do the follow-up. And, um, what I, I felt that way more the first time I listened to it. And then I felt a little bit differently and better about it on second listen. And my immediate thought as I was thinking that was, well, that's not good. Like, they didn't hear him say it twice. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, they didn't right. get to hear him. They didn't go, okay, we've heard all of that. Now let's start over from the beginning and listen to it again and mm-hmm. see if more sinks in. So that, so I, I feel similarly in that, that that's not a great sign when, you know, you're like, well, actually, I kind of do like this or this, you know, that's a really good point. And I do think there were some really good points in there. Um, and uh, I don't know how deeply we're going to get into the transcript. I don't think there were any transcript of closing comments that came through versus what you pulled out for the episode. Sure. Um, so, so we're not really going to get into like the fullness of his closing, um, but it is, as Zach mentioned, out there and available for review. I, I think my, and I think I said it in the episode that he, I think he probably lost some credibility with the jury. And I know that he lost some credibility with me when he was doing what you were talking about. I, cause, cause, cause when he was explaining the law and really driving home, like they said, this is a fact that it's a proven fact and it's not like, like that was very impactful for me. Like he's going through going, these things, these are just speculation. They're stories, they're narratives. Like, this is not a proven fact. And it was like bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And for me, it's, that's why it's interesting to hear your guys say, because for me, it was like, that's out. Like if I'm a jury or a juror, I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's, they didn't prove that. They didn't prove that. But then he, but then the, the scenario he gives with the, you know, the, the lighting, the fire and then hiding and then relighting the fire or you know, throwing some some accelerant on it, closing the garage door for no reason whatsoever, and then driving away in a car that nobody saw. Like that to me, like that was in reading it. And I'm somebody who fully believes these guys are innocent. When I read it, I'm like, dude, you lost me here, man. Mm. I'm out. Um, so I can only imagine how the jury felt about that. When he says, when he starts telling that story, he doesn't put it in a way that, in his actual I'm just asking this for for people who didn't read the transcript. He's not putting it in a way that's like and by the way, if it's all about the story, I could tw- I could give you the quote unquote facts and tell a very different story so that at least you're holding on to this concept. That would have been a good strategy. You know what I, I mean? Mm-hmm. Like so you could sort of say it sort of how we say things like, well as long yeah. as you're going to say that XYZ happened, let me give you these three same facts and put it in these terms. So at least you're seeing that there's a different option, but you're not going back on yourself for saying these are just stories. Yeah, I I think that would have been powerful as you say that. Like if if he said, listen, let me just as you just said, um, not to not to mansplain, repeat exactly the exact same thing you just said. (laughs) But, you know, know, we're, you know, if he was like, like all they're doing is telling stories and look, you know, I can do the same thing. I can take this evidence and tell you that it lines up with this. Right. Is that a possibility? It's just as much a possibility as what they said. And right. and and if you were to take that and tie it back into what I thought was a great explanation of reasonable doubt, especially the parts where he says, you know, you're required by the law if if you if, if there are two possible explanations for something, 
then you have to default to the innocent explanation with reasonable doubt. That would have been a great way to do that. But instead, he just presented to me, it felt like he presented that as like, that's what happened. Mm. And I think most people know that's not what happened. Mm. Um, and it was it was just it felt silly to me. Got it. Well, do you want to get into some of this stuff? Um, I actually uh, I actually started with the I, I thought we could work backwards a little bit in okay. that at the end of the episode, you mention uh, what was in Sharon Coleman's interview and yes. uh, that Teresa found. And um, we wanted to talk a little bit about that um, because there were some there were some notes about that, including this first one from Uli. So Uli says, it's been a long season, so it's easy to forget little details. In his first interview on the day after the fires, in episode three, Javi said that his prints would likely be found, some his footprints, I would say, would likely be found somewhere up there. Looking at last uh, episode's revelation now, it doesn't hold quite the same WTH value for me any more than it did when I listened to it Sunday morning. Do you really think Sharon's sighting of Becky and Javi is that big of a deal? Why? It is, but I, and I, but I think from looking at the posts and comments on social after the episode, I think I, I think people thought I was making a point that I wasn't making. Meaning, there was a lot of people who were like, "I knew it had something to do with Javier." I knew. that wasn't the point at all. Becky out walking with Javier behind the house doesn't make Javier any less alibied than he already was. the 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 reason it's a big deal, particularly, so you have you have. You, you have just the practical, real-world court of public opinion that we're living in right now, that we're working on. Um, but then you have the, the the standards of evidence in the court of law that were presented to the jury. That is where the, what is really significant to me is the jury was presented with there's footprints out there. There's footprints of shoes that might be worn by teenagers out there. Out, out near this business card, there we find Becky's footprint. And the only and literally said by and I'm not quoting, but paraphrasing by Aki, uh, you know, that proves Becky was out there at this place of mm-hmm. the violent struggle. So so you have Becky's footprint out in a place that the prosecutor was able to show or present in such a way that there's no other possible explanation for that footprint other than it was put there during the commission of this crime. When in fact we have evidence, a statement from Sharon Coleman, who says the week before the murders, Becky was back there walking with Javier, who you know might be wearing Vans or DVS or you know we we don't know because they never checked Javier's shoes. So so there is, and it goes back to what I was just talking about with Dolan and what reasonable doubt means. So you have a footprint out there. There's a piece of evidence. What facts does it prove? One possible scenario is that it was put there. That that footprint was made during the commission of this murder. Another possible scenario is that that footprint was put there a week earlier when she was just out taking a walk with Javier. That is reasonable doubt. You have two different scenarios, two different explanations for how it put there. And truthfully, there's much stronger evidence that it was put there when Sharon Coleman, by the letter of the law, because there is no evidence that Becky was out there during the commission of this crime. Right. There just isn't. No one saw them. There's no evidence. But there is evidence that Becky was out there a week earlier, which would support a hypothesis that she made the footprint then. So that, that's where the big deal comes in, is that there was another explanation for how her footprint got out there, and it was never presented to the jury. Javier confirms it himself. In Javier's interview, when they ask him about his shoes, he says, you'll probably find my footprints 
out there because we were walking around. I, I thought, though, when I went back and reread, because I remember when I first heard that, I was like, why did he immediately see you probably find my footprints all over? But then I thought, and I'll have to go back. Maybe you can find, I think they said it's episode three in the case files. But didn't he, I, I, th- I thought he was more specific when I went back and reread it. Like, you'll see my footprints from walking into the house or something. I don't uh, know. I thought he said that you'll find my footprints out there because I've been out there. I mean, in a more vague way. But also we have like a ton of anecdotal conversation from people in various interviews saying that Becky did go out there. She had a place she liked to go out there. She would walk around out there. We've heard from Javier that she and her stepdad would walk an entire loop out there, come full mm-hmm. circle. Like there's so much conversation around Becky being comfortable being back there. So I I find it, I don't even know why we would need that information specifically from Sharon in that, of course, her footprints could be out there. That doesn't seem like it proves anything because she yeah. lived there. And people said she went out there. So the fact that they found a print is like, please don't use that. Of course, they used whatever they could. But yeah, I, I think where it takes us is from. Yeah, there's probably there, there's plenty of reasonable reasons, innocuous reasons for that footprint to be there. We've always known that it could have been any time she was walking around out there. It took us from that to. Well, we know that she was walking around now. Now, Sharon Coleman didn't specifically say it, it's kind of convoluted. I ran into her and Javier. She talks about it twice in the interview, but she doesn't say that was behind the house. But in context and reading it, the way I took it was it was she walked into them hiking, walking around back there. Well, she uses the word they were hiking around out there and hiking around does not sound like she was on the road. They were on the road and they said hello. She uses the term hiking. She uses the word hiking. It's just around out there, which is a, you know, contextually, you know, she's referencing back to what she had said earlier which was she was talking about back behind the house yeah so this isn't a transcript this is just the report but it says javier said his footprints would probably be at the scene because he was has been at the location many times in the past the last being on friday and porphyria points out that uh porphyria is saying you may be thinking of Bo. his interview is much more specific about where his footprints would be but porphyria is saying uh, also agrees that it seemed more vague the way javi was talking about it just to to shout that out as well gotcha yeah, Valeria also posted about this same thing. Valeria said, uh, I read Sharon Coleman's interview transcript. From what I can see, we don't really know to the two separate incidents. Yes, I agree. They're talk- she talked about Vicky and John, and she talked about Becky and Javi separately. But I agree with you that once you, int- once you introduce the term hiking when reference to Becky and Javi, I feel very comfortable having been out there uh, in that location mm-hmm. to say that's... I-, I just don't see a scenario in which you're not talking about that. Uh, because the... Because you are hiking all around the backs of their houses, but yeah. you're not hiking if you're at or in front of their houses. You're yeah, and linguistically, you know, on the just on the just road. linguistically, if you look at it, if if she was talking about a different place than she had already specifically referenced, she would have said the place. You know, what I mean, like, right. yeah, I ran into Javier and Becky out on the road, but that's not what. She, so she's very specific with John and Vicky. I I met I I ran into them in the wilderness in the national forest behind the house. Jump to a couple minutes later, I ran into Becky and well, she didn't say Javier, but she's talking about Javier. Right. I ran into Becky and Javier out hiking out there. She's she's referencing back to what she had said earlier. Right. Yeah. And I and uh, Valeria also added that, you know, we, in drawing this back to the whole conversation, the uncomfortable conversation that LeClaire has with Javi in the later interview where he's like, so you never went hiking with Becky? Why do you think I guess you never went hiking with her? Is that weird? Is that weird? And Javi's like, I guess it's weird. 
Um, so just kind of bringing up the sort of like, what are we characterizing as hiking? If Javi was back walking around out there and someone else described them as hiking, Javi obviously is either intentionally kind of mischaracterizing like what what one type of hiking versus another like oh well hiking must mean you know doing that whole loop like she did with her stepdad or whatever so larry was kind of wondering about that my opinion is that javi wasn't lying that he just he's just thinking about the sort of robert hike thing as like a further deeper longer thing for well, some reason even though it was going to get dark so it, i, don't know, it's I a agree lot. it would have been already dark but um as far as a hike like if we're gonna if we're gonna do that like what robert in the the scenario the state lays out the hike with robert is not on a trail it's them walking 600 feet straight back behind the house which is not you know not that far if you're for a hike you know it's a distance from the crime scene but if you're talking about a like they were just walking around they were just walking around back behind the house that's that's i wouldn't consider that a hike to me like you said a hike would be we got on the trail and, and Janet, you were on some of the trail or I guess you didn't go on the trails back there right there. But there are there are like roads and trails that go all the way around mm-hmm. back by the mountains in the far back. Like to me, that would be a hike, not just walking yeah. back there a couple of football fields. Yeah. So I think we all agree. And I see it in the chat, too, that the that the term hike is subjective. Um, I stand by my opinion that. They would not have been on the street. If they if 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 I Sharon do too. said hiking around out there, I do but. too. And, and in regards to Javier, I don't necessarily think I that don't read was, anything into that. No, I, I mean because what it could have been is they took a little walk back there to some of the areas like we saw where people had hung out and stuff, right? And yes. maybe smoke some pot. And again, it's still kind of a long way out there. <laughs> yeah, but it's not. I, <laughs> just I, if someone if, if I did that and someone's like, but, "Did yeah. you ever go for a hike?" I'm like, no, yeah, I walked yes. to a place. I yes. didn't go hiking. Yeah, absolutely. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, I also just wanted to say I mean, this is neither here nor there other than just like my feeling of sadness about all of it um, is that if you read Sharon's interview, it's very it's a hard read because she's really, really hoping that everybody's OK. Yeah. And she I just I, I found that to be very interesting. And there was also a little note in there um, that I made for myself that she she said that Vicky came over and helped her with her computer because Vicky was a bit of a computer whiz, which I thought was mm-hmm. really interesting information. I mean, that's Sharon's idea of what a computer whiz is may not be the same as everyone else's. But yeah. uh, we know that, that Vicky was on her computer a lot. And so I kind of I thought it was interesting that. That Sharon was like, in fact, she helped me fix a problem with my computer. She was. Yeah. Did she say John ways. had been over there to help her do? John had been over to stuff. help her, help her with a bunch of stuff. They had a really good neighborly relationship. Um, uh, and and then she, you know, 
the other thing that's always interesting is just hearing again from her, like I would have heard, you know, if I had been home, I would have heard something or I would have heard if they'd ever fought, which I never heard them do because in her words, sound really carries out there, which then goes back to that frustrating place of all of us coming back time and again to God, why didn't anyone hear anything or identify something Mm -hmm. as going wrong? Now we know Sharon wasn't there, but hearing that sound really carries out there is frustrating when you know that, you know, things were happening um, and no one heard anything. Uh, Okay, so moving into Dolan's statements, uh, Jennifer H. says, could you please talk about the significance of Dolan claiming Tim Summerlee said the garage door was open when he actually said it may not uh, when was open when he actually said that it may have been open. You said this may have been a strike against him. I acknowledge it's not accurate, but it doesn't seem to be on the level of inaccuracy slash dishonesty. The prosecutor claiming there was a violent struggle at the area of disturbance. It wasn't it wasn't uh, Tim Summerlee. It was Captain Williams. Summerlee was very clear that the, you know, like when I like he's described the scene of looking through the garage, through the door into the house. It was Williams that he said claimed that the, you know, he said that Williams says the garage door was closed when he got there. Um, the reason, the reason that comes up is because in the crime scene photos later we see the doors down and they had cut the firefighters had cut a hole in the door. Um, and so the, it was it was kind of like reverse engineering, I think. That, and I, and when I first got involved in the case, like some of the family members and people that I talked to were all like, you know, like, we don't understand why this door is closed. It was a huge question for us when we first started started the case last year. Uh, but to me, when I when I when I broke it down and, and looked at it, what you notice is the garage door is not locked. There's a there's a hasp lock on there. It is unlocked. And yet the firefighters cut a hole in it. So that's the big clue there is if. If they needed to get into it because it was closed, they would have just opened it. So there must be a reason why they wouldn't have opened it. And and then as I looked at the fire damage and looked at the what they did, which is they pulled the ceiling down in the area that was which is a common firefighting practice in the area where the garage door would be if it's open. So it, to me, it seems very clear what happened was is the firefighters wanted to pull that ceiling to to stop the fire in the attic. But the garage door was blocking it, and the only way they could get to that was to bring the garage door down, cut a hole through the garage door, and then reach their pike poles up through it to do it. Um, so it, it's a very innocent explanation. The part I didn't like is that Dolan builds this scenario based on the fact that Captain Williams says the door's closed, and he never did say the door was closed. Mm-hmm. So just for just one quick – I think I know the reason. The, and the reason they would cut a hole in the door is – because they, they need to – so pulling ceiling, especially when you have a fire like that that's spreading from the house into the attic, uh, pulling ceiling is is, is because you've got insulation and stuff up there. You, you take these big poles – they're called pike poles with spikes and hooks on them. And you pull that ceiling down to just, so you can take any anything that may be smoldering or burning up there and get it down. And so you can have access to get through with a hose line. Uh, we pull oh, – anytime there's anything going on in an attic, we pull the ceiling. But so if you imagine – so here's the ceiling. And those of you on YouTube can see this. So this is the ceiling. And this is the area of ceiling we need to pull down. Okay. The garage door was up like this. I get I get why the door was pulled down. I'm asking about the hole cut in the door. So one, Well, you, that's the only way you're going to get inside. Yeah. So once you bring the garage door down, mm-hmm. the ceiling's exposed, but now you can't get to the ceiling because the garage door's in the way. Okay. So then you cut a hole in the garage door so you can go through it to pull the ceiling. Gotcha. I went the other way with that. I went that they closed it from the inside and it would give them a way out. Oh, no, no. safely. Yeah. No, well, I mean, they may have, but that would have been 
a very unsafe move. I think they were on the outside when they did that. They should have consulted with experts. They should have consulted consulted with you know, they they should have interviewed like the defense investigators probably should have interviewed Williams to ask him questions like that. Not just do you remember if it was closed, but why would it be closed? Talk to the other firefighters. They should have talked to fire behavior experts. As far as your question, I think the question was worded is what is the significance of it? It was just it was a weird thing that it was open when Tim was there and it was closed later. And because the scenario that the defense had worked up was, well, the killer must have still been there. That's why that's the only explanation as to why it would be closed. So then they build the scenario. But it's, I mean, think about that. You've killed three people. You've lit the house on fire. You've lit and, and you lit her on fire, but without accelerant is kind of what they're saying. Hmm. Like just lit her clothes on fire. And then somebody comes up and instead of like, okay, the gig's up. Let's take the risk now to yeah. reignite her body and then go close the garage door, which is good. Like, that's ridiculous. There's just no way that happened. Got it. Diane says Dolan stated in his closing that an Xbox keeps a log of when someone plays on it. I like this. I thought this was because we hadn't mm-hmm. talked about the Xbox thing before. Uh, do you know if it's easy to check the log or if it's a difficult process? Could it have been checked a year later when the search warrants were executed? Uh, assuming Christian still owned the Xbox or would it need to have been done shortly after the night in question? Assuming it's easy to do so, I was shocked to hear that their alibi could have been checked just by looking at the Xbox log and it wasn't done. So that was another possible yeah. alibi moment that we had not discussed on this show up right. to the point of this closing statement. Yeah, Zach's looking it up right now. I know it can be done. I've seen where it's been done in other cases. I don't know the time limit. And I don't I think by the time they were arrested and knew because remember, even when they executed the search warrant, when the stuff were obviously they knew they were suspects, they still didn't know what time am I trying to like, like, like where do you think I was? What do you think I was doing? And when do you think I was doing it? Um, so the defense had no, you know, well, there was no defense because they hadn't been arrested or anything. Um, by the time they get arrested, you know, 10 well, years later, they don't even have the Xbox anymore. Right. Um, I don't think Diane's saying that the defense should have done that. I think Diane's saying right, it's right. shocking that the cops once again were like, well, we had some things we could have run in this large window of time to yeah. sort of as pin, far as I know, stuff down. Because we it dealt with it somehow. with the Melgar case. Um, we were trying to pull some information for a different reason, but it, I think it was from an Xbox as well. Um, as far as I know, as long as the device still exists or the online account still exists, you could go back and pull that information. So I don't think I don't think I don't think a year later they couldn't have got that information. I think they still could have gotten it then. Right. But, and more importantly, as with everything else, with the like you have these guys that are at least suspects, if not your prime suspects, on day one, and they say, This is what we were doing that night. We were here, we were here, we were here. And they give you five or six verifiable elements of their alibi. There's all these different things you can do. Well, let's go check it. Instead, they ignore it. Don't don't verify any of it. And then a year later, they can't verify it. And then now Robert Christian are trying. Like, it's all gone. It should have been done then. There's not, Obviously, there's nothing we can do about that now. But that's what's so frustrating about this. I keep thinking every time I drive down the road, and I know they were less prevalent, way less prevalent back then. But I see all these houses with security cameras all over them. I'm like, you couldn't have found a camera somewhere that just showed a car driving by? I know. Especially up in Pinion Pines because lots of those have. And they're not new ring video doorbells. A lot of the house in Pinion had got the big old 1980s surveillance cameras on, on the front of the houses because of just the nature of that neighborhood. Someone had video of those streets that could have proven or disproven if they had driven up there. It looks like the only activity logs you can find are if they're online. 
Like you can't just see if somebody has logged on to play. Like if you just turn your Xbox on, Xbox on and start playing a game, mm-hmm. there's no activity log. I think my from inter- Xbox. Okay. Now, if you log into anything online, there's an activity log. Right. But nothing like if you just play like first person sitting there in front of the TV. Then there's nothing logging. It doesn't appear to be. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I thought I had remembered that there was like something like not something that just a general user could do, but like forensically somebody could pull data off of that like you could a computer. But either way, it wasn't checked. Yeah. I am curious. uh, I'm just this is just I don't expect you to have the answer, but I just was listening to this thinking, I wonder because I am a minor legal wonk, as many of us are, just wondering what that conversation is like between Moore and Dolan. Like, who's which one of us is going to go first? I just think that's interesting. Like, and, in the closing statements. And keep in mind, because we're going to do Moore's closing on Sunday, that now you have to have your closing. Like, you you don't want Moore to go up. I mean, he could, but you don't want Moore to go up and give a completely different, clo- you know, some, give a closing sure. that conflicts with, sure. uh, uh, with Dolan's. Um, so it's interesting, and they do conflict a little bit. Um, Moore's is – I'm not all the way through writing it yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good chunk into it. And it's, 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 so far, I'm not a fan of how he put that closing together. Hmm, interesting. Okay. And then, I don't know, the, the other thing that kind of came up for me as I was listening to this and thinking about the Xbox stuff – and again, this is just like my opinion or just something I was mulling over, but I almost started to worry like – of course, you need to point out all the stuff that wasn't done at the beginning. And the point of doing that is to show that there isn't enough information. But I just yeah. had this like creepy feeling for a second that like if you were a juror who believed in law and order and who believed as we all want to, that law enforcement is is doing right by the world and 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 not, you know, not wrong by the time this gets to trial. You could almost see them being like, oh, I feel so sorry for them that they don't have enough information. So I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt that while we don't have any of that information, they must still be guilty. I know we don't have that evidence, but like I feel bad for the prosecution that they don't have that information. It's not the prosecution's fault that the cops didn't collect that information. Like you can see Mm -hmm. how that would be twisted in the other direction by a person who just wants to really wants to believe that they're that the, the, good, right. the right thing is being done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of, it's just, it's like, of course you need to bring all of that up. And that should be the thing that people take seriously in the other direction, but I could mm-hmm. almost see it working against you. And, and Uli in the chat just said, when I mentioned there was like five or six ways they could have confirmed the alibi, he said besides AMPM and Xbox, what else, what else was there? So there's like, like I mentioned, they could have checked lots of places for security footage. And with the AMPM, you have, you could have checked receipts. You could have checked, the security camera they could have checked their text messages they could have checked their voicemails yeah there there was lots of different ways that they could have they could have verified if what they were doing is what they said they could have talked to uh christian's aunt they could have talked to marty they could have talked you know you know all all these different people i mean there's probably more than six like different things they could have done to verify where they were at instead they just took their statement walked away Went and went and looked for uh, surveillance footage that wasn't there. Didn't get a receipt why they weren't there, and then they just walked away from it. And then a year later, like you can't prove any of that stuff anymore. There was there was a ton of huge things. Like again, Marty was huge. We don't know if Christian's aunt was there. They should have talked to talked to her. He mentioned there they, Christian's mom, Robert's mom, people who saw him that night. Jackie should have been talked to. There's lots and lots of different ways that they could have verified where they were at and when. 
Okay, so moving a little bit more towards evidence, um, Chris says, uh, probably an obvious one, but do we know how common it is for experts to have to judge fingerprints from a photo? Seems utterly crazy to me. It's done. So when I I had an experience, we've talked about several times where Mike and I went down to Mississippi to a place to have some fingerprints processed. And in that case, we had the physical item there. And the way they process them is they use different chemicals and stuff. and then the lab took photos of that those of those prints and then they put those on a screen and then used that to blow it up and analyze it. So it's not strange to do an analysis off of a digital photo. That's I, I think in most cases anymore is typically how it's done. What is strange is someone else took the photo and sent it to the lab. That's that's the part that it, that, that is weird. So like if they and what it does, and I'm not even suggesting that there was anything shady that went on here, but it certainly opens the door for it. If you're like, hey, here's a picture of a fingerprint we promised that came from this business card. Can you tell us if it matches anybody? I mean, they could have taken a print. They could have taken his his inked print and send it and say, can you compare this to his other ink print? See if it's the same. Mm. I'm not saying they did that, but it opens the door f- for that to happen. Right. And that's why. And it is. It is. Listen, I told you guys before, I'm not arguing with the DNA. The DNA is 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 what it is. Our expert came on and confirmed it. The fingerprints, I'll argue on blue in the face. That does not make sense. It does not make sense. Now, for one analyst to look at it and say that it's not comparable, and then another analyst to look at it later and say, oh, there's enough points here to compare it, that doesn't bother me that much. But when she says, okay, it's comparable, that means there are enough data points in that print to be able to compare it to another print. And then she compared that print to Christian's prints, and those data points did not line up, and she confirmed that the print does not match Christian. It is, She says it is not his print. It's comparable. It's not his. And then another examiner reviewed those results and concurred, yep, it's a comparable print, and it's not his. For then another lab who just got sent a picture of it to be like, oh, no, that's his. That 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 makes zero sense. There's no world for me where that makes sense. Uh, so I, I agree there's something. And to the fact where even the floor has said on the stand that typically what's done is they are sent the physical item. But in this case, for some reason, they were only sent the photo and not the physical item. Personally, I don't buy that that's Christian's fingerprint. And I would just point out, Valeria also added, because you had mentioned this before, in terms of ways to check things, Valeria also mentioned they didn't check the car. They didn't look under the car for the truck bed to see if there was any uh, the paintball evidence gun. of, yeah, great, good yeah. point. Now, can um, I play devil's advocate for a second? Please. Wouldn't wouldn't the fingerprint be destroyed the moment they tested it for touch DNA? It may have been. So, I mean, they wouldn't be able to send the evidence. When? Just to play, just to play devil's advocate here. I'm trying to think of the no, timing of that when that was, when that was done. But that, but that could be the reason, and that could be something else that Dolan kind of spun. Because if they swabbed it, they may have swabbed. Because mm-hmm. I don't know how that ninhydrin, how it stains the card. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if, like if that print, that print would would stay there mm-hmm. after you know after they swab it, or if it would get smooshed around. I don't know. Thank you but for that's the a good point. use of smooshed. Kathy just wanted to revisit the red truck thing uh, one one last time. Um, Kathy missed some episodes from the beginning of the season and just wanted to refresh everyone on how much, if anything, was actually done about the red truck at all. 
we don't see any investigation about it. Maybe there was some stuff done they never documented, but I mean that we, we don't we don't see exactly what Dolan said. Like they didn't start asking all the friends and, and acquaintances and neighbors who owned a red truck with a white bed. It just we we don't have any evidence that they ever did any invest. And I believe on the stand, even Leclerc acknowledges they never did anything. Which is yeah, that's very bananas. strange. That's very strange. Just in that that's such early information that. Yeah, the fire chief tells you, or the fire captain. Yeah, before you have anyone in mind at all, that seems like a, a strong lead. And and so I just want to clarify, too, I'm glad that this came up because I wanted to clarify, like, when you attach the unbelievability to the idea that the people are still there and the garage door is an indication of that and that they pour the accelerant on and then they leave and then you point out that people would have seen them leave, does that preclude a different scenario in which they are there or they just recently left but are on foot. Does the timing, I think we've covered this before many, mm-hmm. many months ago, but the timing works that that for Becky's body to be lit on fire, for someone to be on foot heading for where the car is parked somewhere far enough away that the neighbors wouldn't see the car leave and still make it down to interact with the with the fire department where it was where they found him, like or where they where they interacted with the, the truck. Does that make sense? Like. Does the time allow the time does allow for that? Yeah. So my 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 personal hypothesis is I think that the killer lived in the neighborhood personally. Mm-hmm. I don't think there ever was a car. I think mm-hmm. they I think Becky's body was lit on fire while Tim Summerlee was on his way to the house. Like it was just lit when he mm-hmm. was on his way there. And I think the fire dynamic timing works out for that. Um, and so does Dr. Pope's testimony or her analysis works out for that. I think like literally as he's driving up the road, they're lighting her on fire. And taking off on foot at that point. I mm-hmm. think they just went to their house or wherever they were staying is what I believe. Mm-hmm. But there also is enough time there because it took so long. You've got almost 20 minutes for the fire truck to make its way there because, remember, it got stuck and all that. So I think there's there's definitely time where if somebody left on foot and they ran, say, all the way down to Palm Canyon somewhere and then got into a vehicle way over there and then came across the fire truck. I think there's certainly time for that. Okay. Jennifer says there's probably no answer to this, but I'd really like to understand how the jury decided Robert and Christian killed Becky out in the desert and then carried her down to the wheelbarrow. This is in reference, of course, to the juror, the alternate juror who said they didn't even really take the wheelbarrow thing seriously as far as it coming, being brought in from the desert. Uh, how could they could have thought that she they hand carried her down to the wheelbarrow when there was no reported evidence of them walking in the desert with her? Uh, their footprints weren't matched to the five photographed footprints. I don't know. I have no idea. That didn't make any sense to me at all. The way I read it was, oh, they must have thought that she wasn't killed in the desert. Like she was killed right there and put into the wheelbarrow. But that, like, if which it, now, now remember, we're playing with, with that email, we're playing a game of telephone, literally. So the juror, the, the main jurors did their deliberations, came up with their verdict. And then they called and talked to Cynthia and they told, you know, they told her this is what happened. This is how we got to that. And then she relayed that information to us. So there could be something lost. It certainly could be something lost in translation there because that doesn't make sense to me. Like if they're because I was I was like, yeah, well, that makes sense. Probably what did happen is she was killed right there and just put into the wheelbarrow. That makes the most sense to me. But then I'm like, well, then why do they care about the business card? Because that's then way, way out there. It doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I do want to real quick address, address in chat. Um, Joanne says Marty wouldn't speak to the police without Robert's lawyers and ended up never going to speak to them. You can't put that on Marty like that. That First of all, that was 10 years later. It was already too too late. Uh, second of all, 
someone insisting on having an attorney before they speak to the police is the smartest thing they could do. And the fact that the police decide, oh, well, we won't talk to you if you want a lawyer here is ridiculous. That is not on Marty. That is on the police. They should have said, if what they're doing is on the up and up, sure, come on in with the attorney. Like like to, to, to make that, and I don't know if that's what you're trying to do, but to make that seem like, well, it's Marty's fault. He wouldn't go in without a lawyer, and that's unreasonable. That's not unreasonable at all. It's unreasonable that the police didn't say, yeah, come on in with the lawyer. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Um, Teresa just added me seeing to to ask, is the card still in evidence? So if there was another trial. Yeah, I believe so. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Valeria just wants to circle back on the Javi shoe thing. Uh, did Leclerc actually make a note of what shoes Javi was wearing that Monday when he first interviewed him? Are there details of any other shoe brand slash details worn by the other teenagers? We heard people in interviews say, can I look at your shoes or, you know, can I check your shoes? Are there any corresponding notes that actually log who was wearing what and that it was checked beyond the two guys? I don't think so. So Bo Nash, they did take a picture of Bo Nash's shoe. Okay. Um, and you hear them in that. Let me take a picture of the shoe. Right. Uh, and and we have that picture. And truthfully, when I first saw that picture, I thought for sure that was his shoe print out there because it's. I think it's the DVS one. It's one that has like a bird. Hmm. I don't remember which brand that was. Do you remember? I don't remember right offhand. It's one of the It's one of the shoes brands that are out there. I believe it's DVS. But when you look at like the very clear print that goes over the top of the wheelbarrow track. And then you look at his shoe, it's like, oh, man, that's his shoe. And then when I actually compared them and overlaid them, it's not the uh, the pattern. Like one has like lines and one has like a herringbone. Like at a glance, they look the same, but they're not the same. Um, Javier, they they I think they talked about his shoes, but I don't think they took a picture of them. I believe they took pictures of Jacob's shoes in his interview, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. But I don't recall ever seeing what his, what, what his shoes were. Um, I forget. I remember them. They took the picture of Jacob and then he had them take another one because he didn't think it was very flattering. But I don't remember the sho- taking pictures of the shoes. I just remember right. that happened. You may interview. be right about that. And but, I'm not making fun of Jacob. I would totally do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> if it sounded like I was being snarky, I truly wasn't. I just remember that because I was like, oh, no, <laughs> such a real moment. Um, But again, so going back to what I was saying earlier, the things the police should have done at the beginning. This doesn't, this doesn't have to do with Robert Christian's alibi, kind of, but it kind of does. The one piece of evidence that they had at the beginning, they didn't know if there was going to be DNA on that business card. They didn't know that, but what they knew is that Becky was found in a wheelbarrow. They, their hypothesis was that she was, Becky was killed in the desert and pushed to that spot in the wheelbarrow. 
and they knew they had footprints, clear footprints all the way up there. And then what they didn't do is go to Robert, Christian, Javier, Jacob, Bo, Gray, and Josh, or everybody. Go to their house, ask them if, they, and if you can get a warrant, get a warrant. But it, it may have been tough because there didn't have any evidence. But certainly, everyone seems to have been cooperating. They could have went to every one of their should have went to every one of their houses and say, "Can I look at your shoes?" And 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 right then, day one, day two, day three, document, take pictures of every, not just the pair of shoes they're wearing while they're sitting in the police station, because you'd like to think the killer, if if one of them was the killer, they would be smart enough not to wear that pair of shoes. Of course, they don't know there's footprints either, but um, to the police station, but like go to their house and take pictures and you could have found real quick. Also, how about get the size of the shoes? There is there there's in that same lab I was in where I did fingerprints. They also teach FBI um, down in Mississippi. They teach FBI agents like Kevin. And that wasn't Kevin Bowles. The other FBI agent that did the, the shoe print analysis. They teach them how to identify and analyze footprints and we had hours why this chemicals work so they were like showing us all this stuff and they were telling us like with with a partial like a third of a footprint they can tell you what brand it is and they can tell you what size it is and they never ever at least not that we see ever got the size of the shoes so again so so when i said five or six things it's probably 12 15 16 20 things they could have done uh montana had said in there like because you know uh christian's dad was so intent on like like trying to distance Christian from this. Certainly, if his aunt had seen him that night, she would have come forward or said something. Maybe, probably. That doesn't make it not the police's responsibility to go ask her. That is their responsibility. We do this, and I'm not I'm not picking on you, Montana, at all. Because as a general true crime community, we do this all the time. We look at well, well, why wouldn't this person come forward, or why did they wait five years to come forward? We remember we're looking at a case file. People don't know what information they have or how it's relevant. People aren't always. Some people just are afraid to call the police and talk to them and tell them something. It is the investigator's job to go find evidence and go find information. It is not the public's job to hand it to them. Right. I want to come back to Sarah, who says it's probably been said before, but I can't remember. Do we know which way the wheelbarrow was oriented when it was first seen by Tim and the fire chief? Were the handles pointing away from the house or towards it? If the latter, it would seem unlikely that Becky had recently been pushed down, uh, pushed down from the so-called area of disturbance. The purpose would have been in a big hurry, maybe a small point, but potentially significant. Uh, the So the handles were pointed. Nor I just looked at a picture of this a minute ago, uh, or not a minute before we came in here to record. Uh, because I know they're pointed north towards the desert, but they're actually angled a little bit mm. to the east. I mean, it's, it's like it's like north northeast. The handles are pointed, and the front of the wheelbarrow pointed back towards the house. Uh, so it, the handles are pointed out towards the desert, but they're pointed. And the, those of you that are on YouTube can see this. Like the handles are pointed this way in the track. So there's like this 25 foot of space where the track mm. begins. So the track begins over here. And then the track goes over here and the handles are pointed this way. So they're not pointed the angle you would expect them. Like, so you would expect right. them to be pointed to coming from the handles to be pointed either west or northwest or north, northwest, but they're pointed north, north. So the, 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 where the, 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 the wheelbarrow was found 25 feet east of where the wheelbarrow track started mm -hmm. and the wheelbarrow handles 
are facing like north northeast. That makes sense. Almost like you might reconfigure the wheelbarrow to like unload a tree or something. Yeah, could be. Okay. Just curious. Um, Teresa says, I read the arson report and the testimony from Williams. Only water is mentioned referring when uh, mm-hmm. w- when responding to Becky in the wheelbarrow. How can the prosecution get away with saying they used foam? This uh, another great find by by Teresa. Teresa. Um, so and she had she had messaged me and asked me like where I see foam residue and so I was going back through crime scene photos and what I realized was there is no so there's there's photos that were taken of the crime scene at night while they were actively fighting the fire and we see the runoff and there's no foam in that water which makes sense because what I didn't mention last week when we were talking about this that foam concentrate is very expensive and so you use it sparingly and you use it when you need it you don't waste it and when you have a fully involved fire like that that's already breached the house and is in free burn, as I mentioned last week, that's not what the foam is for. It is used to absorb heat very quickly in a closed box, like when you're inside doing interior interior structural firefighting. And then it's also used because it, it makes the fire, the water um, absorb better into materials. So we use it a lot in what we call overhaul, which is after the fire's out, but there's hot smoldering spots all over the place and rubble. Then you'll coat, coat that with foam and let it let it come down. So there are photos where I see residue of the foam, but they're all the photos that were taken the next day during the arson investigation, and there's just a little bit of it. But when I look back at the photos at night when they're actively fighting the fire and you see the water running off, there's no foam. There's no bubbles. There's no residue. There's no nothing. So I don't think they use foam at all. And what Therese found was – because I kept hearing foam, so I guess my brain just assumed that he testified to it. But she's right. I went back to look through William's testimony. He says water. He never once uses the word foam mm-hmm. in his in his testimony. The, so the as far as how did the prosecution do it? They were lying. They made that up. He did not. There was no foam. I, I told you. I can tell you with one hundred percent certainty they didn't use foam on Becky's body. And it looks like with ninety nine percent certainty they didn't even use it on the house until after the fire was out the next day when they were doing overhaul. Mm. Yeah, I, Teresa had been curious about any residue, any foam residue you did see that you thought you could maybe see in some of those other photos and to call that out and point it out if you if you can. Yeah, it's all in the stuff photos. later on, like during right. over, overhaul. Uh, and Danielle asked if in the in the live chat that it, would foam be used first and then washed away um, after time using ju- using just water? No, it would never it would never be used like that for that reason. Um and it would still leave residue and stuff everywhere. Cause it, it's, it's not much different than dish soap. So if you imagine dish soap, you keep putting water on it as it's running off. It's still making bubbles and leaving residue and stuff everywhere. Okay. I wanted to come back just in revisiting a bunch of old episodes. Um, if I think, I, and you may have answered this and I just haven't gotten to it yet, but there was a point at which in a follow-up, we were talking about the, um, the aspirated um, residue mm-hmm. Um on Becky's face. Yeah. Um, I never feel good about talking about this stuff, but um, you were going to maybe check to see because we were trying to figure out timing and maybe it would help with timing. Uh, you were going to ho- think you were going to try to check with an expert about when that would have like when that if that happens, if something happens like strangulation or suffocation or something that would cause that to eventually happen, if we have a timestamp or any kind of general estimate on when that would happen after the incident that initially will trigger it, if that makes sense. 
Uh, yeah, and I, ne- I never ended up doing that because once we saw Dr. Pope's testimony and read through, like, her lungs burned. Like, one lung is, like, completely burned. So that'll change. So it is, so the, the, the fire would cause, it's almost a boiling of any fluids and stuff in her lungs to do it. So that would, so, you know, it would speed up the, it would speed up the process. And whenever that heat is then applied to, um, to the lung tissue, it would, it would cause that to, to happen. So I don't think that we can put a time on it. Okay. Sarah says, were Robert and Christian's interviews played in court or were they read into evidence from the transcripts? They were played. Okay. Valeria says, I made a post about the list of evidence that was in one of the files for episode 37. The list is dated 2015, and they still seem to have Becky's journal. Also, there was mention of a lighter found at the top of the driveway and a key holder with, quote, jewelry. What do we make of this? Could these be items that could be located and looked at, checked for prints and DNA where relevant? So the journal, I think we've mentioned this before. It's frustrating because we see that it was collected, but we don't see it in evidence, at least in the file that, that I have. Um, the lighter I hadn't noticed before, but you're going to hear that lighter, green lighter, mentioned by Moore. So it was interesting that, that Valeria, Valeria had just pointed that out, um, like the day before I was reading Moore's testimony, and he talks about the green lighter um, that that was brought in. Uh, but I don't know. One thing that you know I'm hoping happens with the, with the uh, uh, the post conviction attorneys is that they go physically inspect the evidence that's there and see because I, I I have not seen any fingerprint or DNA analysis done on that lighter. I, I I don't recall, and I could be wrong, but I don't recall ever seeing anywhere where where either of the, where that was tested for either of those things. Which, if that's the case, for fuck's sake, you have a fire, you know, a, a crime involving fire and a lighter sitting right there, and you don't test it. That's crazy. Yeah, I, that was. Very curious and um, great. I'm so glad that got pointed out, Larry. Thank you so much for doing that because, yeah, seeing those, seeing those items um, definitely raised new questions for me. Um, I also just thought it was interesting in talking about evidence. Um, just again, listening to an old episode, listening to episode six, just hearing that um, that the police described Becky having clothes and pillows and bedding in her car. Um, and that's one of the reasons why he thought she was moving. I mean, I understand that she was staying at other people's houses a lot, but, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It was just something that jumped out at me in a way that it hadn't before. Like, wow, bedding, bedding. That's not, I'm staying at, I mean, to me, that's not, I'm staying at my boyfriend's. That's like, I have bedding and pillows like for a, like for a bed, but I don't know. Yeah. And I, I always wondered about, because we know that we heard that she was basically living with Jacob. And they had just broke up, and so she had moved out of there. That maybe she—that was stuff she took from Jacob's house. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Just clo- like clothing and bed. I'm trying to think if I ever brought like bedding to someone's house that I was that I was dating. Um, yeah, but what is what do anything. they consider bedding? That's the that's you know it's all in verbiage. Like, what do you consider bedding? Like, yeah. did she have a I guess blanket? That's why it would have been nice. You know what I mean? Did have... she have a blanket in her car? Did yeah. she have a pillow in her car? Yeah. Or did she have like sheets and yeah. and a it's comforter? Like all you know of I mean? that should have been taken into evidence, right, Bob? Yeah, you think? Um, as long as we're adding to the list of things that could have been and should have been yeah. done I've listened to that episode so many times now I feel like I could almost quote you saying for God's sake this just happened right in front everything is important everything yeah especially when you don't have hardly anything yeah yeah like I, I really I'm gonna do I'm gonna I'm gonna hopefully I'll be able to get back to you guys next week because I want to do a deep dive into this lighter thing 
because like right. I said, this that was new information to me that this lighter was even found. If that lighter was found right there at the crime scene and was never tested, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, great. We all look forward to you going losing my mind. Ballistic. Um, okay, so we're closing up, getting towards the end here of the questions I have. Uh, some questions from Tracy and Peter about kind of timetable for what's happening with attorneys now. She could will we be summarizing what we think could or will be used by the defense team from their own investigation and from your investigation? Um, if the same kind of restrictions would be in place, like alternative suspects and stuff like that. Do you have any sort of general thoughts you want to give on any of that? No. Um, for starters, I don't know exactly what the strategy is. You know, like I, said, I, I know it's kind of a one way communication where I'm like, hey, here's something. You know, for example, I, I just, you know, the the uh, Teresa's find about Sharon Coleman. I just I sent that to Robert's attorney and, and I don't even know if they already had that if they'd already caught that. But I was like, hey, here's something else that they missed as far as an ineffective assistance of counsel claim. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I don't know if that'll be the case. I haven't asked, um, but I would I, I'm hoping that maybe but when we wrap the season up that maybe um, the attorney can come on and explain what their strategy is. Or I mean, that we're coming up soon on the deadline to file the habeas. Um, I think it's June. Um so we may so we may have it filed and then we can maybe have them come on and explain it. So but I'll share that information with you when I one have it and two when when I'm told that it's okay to share. Got it. Um uh Montana and Company, I know there's a, a larger conversation going on about Christian's dad's interview and what can be gleaned or interpreted from that that feels to me like maybe a little bit of a longer conversation than we have time for because we've been doing this for a, a little bit now and it wasn't part of the the Facebook follow up posts. Um, but I'm interested in this conversation. I will just say I'm interested in it because I think there's a lot of interpretation going on there. And um, I I would be happy to talk more about it. I just think we might need to put a pin in it for next follow up or something. And then Nancy had a you know, question about the jury system in the U.S. obviously being flawed. Uh, do you know systems from other countries that work better? I'm going to go ahead and answer and say I don't think Bob is going to give a different country that he thinks works better. Um, but feel free to surprise me and blow my mind if you have oh, that you're in right. your pocket. Uh, yeah, you're right. I don't know. But that's a uh, great question if we do end up with an attorney where we can kind of pose some of yeah. these larger questions that aren't just about this case so that someone like Colin, who doesn't have to have explicit knowledge of this case, could come in and still kind of talk about some of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have strong feelings about the particularly the prison systems in other countries that I think are done better and more to geared towards rehabilitation, but um, I'm not super familiar with the other, you know, legal processes as far as like juries, juries and stuff like that. Got it. And then uh, uh, Rebecca was just hoping Mike's doing well. Uh, he he is. I yeah. I haven't talked to him in a couple of weeks, but uh, he seems to be doing doing just fine. We're going to make him show up as a celebrity guest on. Trigger oh, we Life. should do that. Yeah. A true crime live on the YouTube. Yeah, make him do um, it. It'll be fun. And is that the end of our? Uh, That's our it. Questions? What? What? So we know we're talking about Moore's closing next week. Anything else you want to prepare us for? Or add? Nope. Um, it's like I said. I so far I'm just I'm not at all a fan of what he did in his closing. There's going to be he starts out with a scenario of what he thinks happened. Um. And it's and I think what I'm going to do is just read it to you exactly because I I can't even summarize it like it's just kind of taking all the bullet points put it together which was an interesting strategy see what you guys think about that but uh, you'll hear all about that on Sunday um, and then um, 
next week we're going to wrap up the trial where we'll we'll go over the you know the final uh, rebuttal by the state and of course we already know what the what the what the verdict was and then we'll be done with the trial and then also i'm going to go through and pick any of the transcripts that i've missed along the way get all those out and so that the, the full transcripts are out um most of them as we've gone through each witness i posted them but there's a few i found stragglers that i haven't got out yet so we'll be putting those out so cool moving right along as far as um so it looks like we don't have any takers nobody wants to come on the show and defend the guilty argument so we'll be foregoing that episode unless somebody jumps up and then uh We'll be moving right into alternate suspects after that. Sounds good. And tomorrow we're going to be, yeah, well, for those of you on the live now, uh, Bob and I will be live at 8 Pacific. And 11 Eastern. 11 Eastern tomorrow. A.M. Yep. A.M. And if you're listening to this on Friday and you want to go back, I don't know when, when do our, when do those post after? Immediately. Over? Oh, okay. So you can also watch it if you want to. Yep. All right. Cool. All right. Well, Zach, Janet, chat. Thank you guys for being here today, participating. I don't I forgot how to close a podcast. Felt weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to thank everybody personally in the chat for going hot and heavy today. It really meant a lot. Bye, guys. Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be fine in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. 
Janet can be found at Janet Barney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. This week we heard Bob break down Dolan's closing. God damn it. My brain's frazzled right now, buddy. Fuck that all up. There we go. Dolan's closing. That's a tongue twister. Dolan's Dolan's closing. <laughs> I think I need you to shut up and stop making fun of me. <laughs> Let me back up. So I think this is leather and it's really Not cloth. <gasps> it's pretty cool. I think I'm see how I did that. I did see it. Yeah. It was it was impressive. Are we ready? I was thinking of